Well, today we turn to Luke chapter 2. Jesus is born. You know, if there is good news for the world in the midst of all the sorrow and all the darkness and all the disappointments, it's because of the events recorded in Luke chapter 2. That's where we see God turning to us, sending a Savior, and Lord knows we desperately need a Savior. But we have one. God is with us now. That's what we just heard. God is with us now. He came 2,000 years ago, but he remains with us now. So there's hope for all of us. Even if you came in here thinking there's no hope for me, there's hope for you because God is with us now. And so I want us to turn to Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, Luke says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, Luke mentions this census by Caesar, and the way he, reason he does is because he wants us to know God's at work, even when God's not seen, that God is orchestrating events to prepare the way for the salvation of the world. You see, Joseph and Mary, they lived in Nazareth in the far northern reaches of the country. But according to the prophet Micah, the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem, a tiny hamlet about five miles south of Jerusalem. How would that come about? Well, enter the politics of the kingdom, or rather the empire. What do governments always want? That's right, higher tax revenue. And that's what this census was probably about. So Caesar Augustus, decreed there would be a census that required Joseph to travel to his ancestral home, and that's what got them to Bethlehem. God was seeing to it, orchestrating events, that the word of the prophet might be fulfilled. And then Jesus was born, and never was there a more humble birth. This is a poor couple. You might say they were a peasant couple, here they are in Bethlehem, unable to find a normal room where they might be able to have their child. Instead, here's Jesus lying in a feeding trough. This humble Jewish couple in this tiny little town that no one else in the Roman Empire had heard of. If you weren't from that area of the world, you sure didn't hear of Bethlehem. It was a nothing town, and the birth of this child was a non-event. No one in Rome knew about it. No one would care if they knew about it. No one who mattered would give any attention to the birth of this tiny child. And yet, 
this tiny child was destined to establish a kingdom that would exist forever. And he is the one who brings us together today. Who thinks of Caesar Augustus today or any of the Caesars? But still, we worship our God who has appeared to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, here he is, born in these humble circumstances, and someone has to acknowledge it, and so an angel appears from heaven, resplendent with the glory of God. He announces the birth of this humble Messiah to humble shepherds who are out in the fields taking care of their sheep. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's the sign? Here's the sign that the Lord is born. Here's the sign that a Savior has come that the Messiah has finally appeared. Here's your sign. You're going to find a baby lying in a feeding trough, sleeping there with his poor parents standing watch nearby. That's the sign to you. But that's a sign of what God is up to and the nature of God's kingdom. Now, what's interesting is in this passage, there are some allusions that today we typically will miss. We don't even notice them. We notice the beauty of the scene, but we miss what the first century readers all would have noticed, and that is the references to Caesar, or I should say how a needle is being inserted into Caesar's glory. I say that because Augustus, Caesar Augustus, was revered beyond how other men were revered. Let me tell you something about him. So Caesar Augustus is a title. It's not a name. The name of, of uh, this emperor was, was different. Um, so Caesar Augustus is the title that was given to him. And it means, Augustus means exalted one or sacred one. And that's because he had managed to deal with a series of wars that Rome was suffering. It was a series of wars that shook Rome, but he had managed, once he took the throne, to win battle after battle on the field, and by doing so, establish a lasting peace in Rome, and with peace came prosperity. And so, here the people, the happy thankful people, represented in a sense by the Senate. The Senate gives him the title Augustus to speak of how great he was, how, how elevated he was. And so he is now called by many in the kingdom or rather in the empire, he is called the Lord. Caesar is Lord. Many people started speaking in that way. In fact, if you go to the, the eastern of the empire, Many people spoke of Caesar 
as a god. After he died, there was a an altar set up. It was called the altar of peace. It was meant to celebrate Augustan ideals. And in fact, the birthday of Caesar was named in it was said in in Asia Minor to be the first day of the new year and it was said that on that day the savior of the world had been born. In fact, there's actually an inscription that says that the birthday of this God marked the beginning of good news to the world. This man who supposedly was this deified figure. He brings good news to the world. He brings peace to the world. He's called Lord. He's called Savior. Well, Luke had a rather different view of things. And his story gives us a different view of things. Because what we actually find is that this child born to this poor Jewish family, he is the one who brings peace to the world. So says the angels sent from heaven. It's a peace that isn't simply the cessation of war. It is a peace that brings positive well-being that penetrates to the human heart and eventually will encompass the entire creation. It's not a peace brought about by some human earthly ruler with pretensions of being some divine figure, but rather a heavenly one who comes and takes his place among a poor earthly people. It's not something established by Caesar Augustus. There's no prime minister who can bring it about. There's no president who can bring it about. There's no conquering general who can bring it about. It is the Davidic Messiah appointed by Jesus, appointed by God, Jesus of Nazareth, this tiny child that's born on this day, he is the one who brings good news to the world. It's on his birthday that the good news is proclaimed that there is peace on all who have the favor of God. And so there's a very different message being proclaimed here and something that everyone would recognize, that this Jesus, this Jesus rises above every other ruler. And so this is something even angels sing about. If you look in the very next verse, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. 
So here's the story of the birth of Christ, the one who is Messiah, Savior of the world, who brings good news because he brings peace to the world. How do we respond to that? How do we appropriate that today? He is still here. He's still God with us. Even now, how do we appropriate that? Well, the first thing surely is that we need to receive the peace that he gives. Not everybody does. I mean, the Lord, the Lord offers his peace to us. And there are a lot of people who say, no, no, that's not what I need or not what I want. See, what a lot of people are looking for is a kind of life hack. You know, they, they, a life hack is, is some little change you make in your life that's supposed to have a, make a big difference in the way you live. It doesn't really interfere with your, your general lifestyle. It's just a small change that fixes a lot of things. That's what a lot of people are looking for is a life hack. Jesus doesn't give us a life hack. What he gives us is eternal life. And the peace he gives is shalom. Shalom is, is that bone-deep well-being that comes to us when we live under the favor of God. It's like living your life in a greenhouse. You know, it's interesting. The first greenhouse in history was actually built by another Roman emperor, the emperor Tiberius. It seems that his doctors told him that he needed to eat cucumbers for his health. And you know, you you can't grow cucumbers year round in the Mediterranean. And so Tiberius had a primitive form of a greenhouse built so that he could have cucumbers all year round. And so now we have greenhouses. And a greenhouse enables us to to have plants grow and thrive with some independence from the climate because we're creating a climate in that greenhouse. See, to live under the favor of God is to have some independence from the events in life. Oh, sure, we, we deal with tough things. And it's not like we skate through without problems. But nevertheless, to live under the favor of God is to thrive. It's to know something of the peace, the shalom that Jesus came to bring. You might call it, ironically, a kind of struggling peace because we still live in this age. But we know one day the peace will be perfect. It all will be put right. And in the meantime, we taste of the favor of God, the goodness of God. And that's what every person can have. That's what you can have. Maybe you've been, you've been putting off that decision to follow Christ for a long, long time. And you're here this morning because, well, maybe you're satisfying your family that wants you to be here during the Christmas season. Whatever the case may be, You don't want to put that off. You want to open your life to Jesus Christ who brings shalom. So we need to be ready for it. You may think, well, I can't be. I I have too many sins. If you knew what was in my life, you'd understand why it just doesn't work for me. But you see, this story has you covered. It says in the town of David, there has been born to us what? A savior. Saviors are for sinners. 
Jesus is the Savior of sinners. There's hope for you, but you need to receive the peace that he gives. And then also, certainly we need to tell other people about this peace that God gives. That's what the shepherds did. I mean, they hear about Jesus, they see him, this little child, and they can't help but go tell everyone about what they've seen and what they've heard. Have you ever thought about this season of the year as an opportunity to share your faith with people? I mean, this is such a great opportunity. The whole Advent period is such a great opportunity. People expect you to say something about Christmas. And here you have the opportunity to bear witness without preaching, without putting anyone on the defensive. You have the chance to say something about what you've seen and heard. No one's going to think that you're, that you're forcing something on them when you share a note in a card or you share a greeting with someone where you let people know what the Lord has done for you. This is the easiest time to witness for Christ of any time of the year. This is the time. This is a great opportunity. So why not use it? Why not take advantage of it? Why not creatively, prayerfully find ways that you can share your faith with people? This would be the time that they could hear the gospel, perhaps for the first time, really hear it and be saved. And then thirdly, I want you to think about who it was that was born. Jesus was born. He was born in humble circumstances. He was born on the margins of society. Nobody's paying attention to him. He's not important. He doesn't count. He doesn't matter. There are a lot of people that live on the margins, a lot of people. And by the world's standard, they don't count and they don't matter and they get overlooked by people. They're forgotten. And we need, as the followers of Jesus, to remember what kind of Savior we follow. Remember, this is the child, the sign that this child is from God. This is the child who's in the manger. This is the child who doesn't have a guest room in which to be born. And so knowing that is our Savior, we need to have eyes for people who are on the margins. In all of our giving, we do a lot of giving during Christmas. What about giving to those who are on the margins? Now, it's not like we don't do that, and I know many of you do, but it's something to pray about, something to consider, something to think very deeply about. As a church, um, Renee and his team do such a good job of setting the example and calling us to follow, to reach out into the community in many, many different ways. Not just during Christmas, all during the year. Whether it's the food pantry or some other outreach event supporting a church in a different part of the city or whatever, there are opportunities to minister. When we had the 12 Trees service, the response on your part is just awe-inspiring to me. People come bringing their gifts, and they're so appreciated by the different ministries in our city who are trying to reach people. And that's something I am so grateful for. There's something else I wanted to tell you about in this connection, and it's a little bit difficult. It's something you, you may wonder, well, why didn't I know about this? Why wasn't something said about this? And it's because it's hard to talk about without it sounding like oh, well, we're just patting ourselves on the back, you know, that we're impressed with ourselves, what we as First Woodway are doing. And and 
that's not where I'm coming from. That's not what any of us want. We're not, we're not great in any way, shape, or form. We're just ordinary people with an extraordinary God trying to be faithful to him. But to give you an idea of what you do that you may not even be fully aware of to help people on the margins, the 12 trees, the different events and outreaches, but we also have um, an ad hoc committee that was uh, formed by the finance committee that's overseeing it that has been giving out grants to organizations in our community that work with children and their families that seeks to help and build them up. Now, you've actually been giving to that without knowing it because whenever you write a check to the church, some of that ends up doing that very thing. So this morning I was in my office. Before I came over here, I thought, you know, I'm not going to remember all this, so let me just write that down. So I've got a list. Just This is just representative, okay? So Compassion Waco. Compassion Waco helps the homeless, especially homeless families, making sure that they have some place to live. Our church gave them $28,000 this November. The Mentoring Alliance, which works with many young people that are at risk, and we gave them, this is in our community now, $25,000. That's this November. Uh, Talitha Coom. Talitha Coom's a marvelous Christian organization that works with children to help them uh, with their brain development. You know, a lot of times children in certain situations, especially traumatic situations, their brains won't develop fully or in a, a healthy manner. And so Talitha Coom actually ministers to that using, you know, current understanding of how the brain develops to help children. You gave them this November $32,000. Or The Rock, which is connected with Mission Waco. It's an after-school program where they work with children, they teach classes, they provide meals, $20,000. A ministry called Unbound that works with those who have been victimized by human traffickers, $35,000. CareNet that works many, many women who, you know, but for the help they can receive from the community, aren't able to have their children and care for their children, $35,000. So this November, our church wrote checks to community organizations. I mentioned a few, there are others, of a quarter of a million dollars. If you combine that with this last year, $375,000 given to community organizations that are working with families and their children. Now, I'm not saying, you can see why, you can see why it's not something we just talk about all the time because it so easily sounds like, oh, well, look at us. And you know that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, these are important things, and it's important for us as individuals, but it's also important as a church that we remember that Jesus was born on the margins, and the people on the margins matter. They matter a whole lot more than to God than to anyone else. And, and our giving 
that's just one element of it. We've got to go as well. That's where I say Brene and his team do so much to lead us there. So there's a lot to it. But I'm hoping this is an encouragement to you to realize that your church really is attempting to be faithful in this giving to the community and serving the community. And the example that so many set in this place makes me want to be better of remembering those who are on the margins. I can't help but think, listen, Jesus Jesus talked in one of his parables. He said to his disciples, when you've done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. And that, I think, reflects the love of God. But I can't help but think that on a human point of view, it also reflects where Jesus was born, the family he was born to, the stigma of illegitimacy hanging over his head. He knew what it felt like to be excluded, to be cut off, to be forgotten. So he always saw people in need. God help us to do the same. God help us to do the same. And if you this morning, you feel like you are just a bundle of needs. I mean, you feel troubled about so many things and you feel the need for prayer. In just a moment when we sing, there'll be people at those crosses on either side of the room to pray for you, just to agree with you in prayer about whatever's burdening your heart. You don't need to leave church without having someone to pray with you for those burdens. If it's the case that you think, you know, I need Jesus, I need Jesus, just I need the peace that the Scripture talks about, you can receive Jesus as well. Even as we sing, you can pray to receive him. If you do, after the service, I'm going to be in the front. I'd like to talk with you about it. I want you to come forward. I'd like to share a word with you and pray with you. But right now, let's all take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ for us. It's not that we sought you, you sought us. And we thank you that you have spared nothing but have given your very heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have given peace, Lord, well-being, wholeness, shalom to us through him. And may you work in us this morning. May you save those who need salvation. May you encourage those who need encouragement. May you speak peace where there is fear. May you bring strength where there is weakness. Do your work, O oh God, as only you can, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.